Have you ever felt like God was finished with you? I think a lot of people feel that way, and maybe that's how you're feeling at this time in your life. Perhaps you've had a loss of some kind, or maybe you've been through a tragedy, or maybe you've retired after a long career, and now you feel like your best days are behind you. Well, I want to assure you that's not true. God's not finished with you. He still has great things planned for your life and for your future. And the fact that you are alive at this very moment is proof of that, that God is up to something great in your life. And even though you may feel like your best days are behind, we know that God does not look at your life that way at all. My name is John Redmond. I'm the associate pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about the fact that God's not finished with you. And he will not be finished until you meet him face to face in heaven. If you have your Bible today, if you could if you would open it to the book of Job, uh, we're going to be thinking about Job's life today. And here is a man who had gone through so many heartaches and tragedies in his life. We read in the early part of the book of Job that he lost his possessions. He lost his children. Job and his wife had 10 kids. And on one day, all 10 of those children were tragically killed. Job not only lost his children and his possessions, but he also lost his health. And so I'm sure if we could have gotten in Job's mind back when all those things were happening to him, he would have been thinking, what in the world has happened to my life? It is over. It is finished. There's absolutely nothing good that could come from all this tragedy and heartache that I have been through. And yet the truth is, as we read the rest of that book, God was not finished with Job. God was, in fact, about to do some things in, Job, in Job's life that uh, were going to be some of the greatest blessings Job could have ever imagined. And so what I want you to see today is, just like God wasn't finished with Job, God's not finished with you. Your best days are still in front of you. And no matter what you're facing today, if you will respond properly, God will do something fantastic in your life. What specifically is God developing in me? What, what's the whole deal about this? Well, I wish you'd jot this down. First of all, God is right now in the process of developing your faith. Your faith is very important to God. Now, keep your bulletin where we are in the book of Job, but turn almost to the end of the New Testament to the book of 1 Peter. I want to show you a couple of verses here. God's in the business of developing your faith. In fact, your faith is the most important thing that you have from God's perspective. God values your faith. God puts a premium on your faith. God looks at you right now. I can't look at you and see your faith. I can see your face. I can see your body. You can see mine. We can't see each other's faith. But when God looks at us, he's looking into our heart with x-ray vision, and he's looking at our faith to see is our faith strong and mature, or is it filled with doubts and questions? Is it a wavering faith, or is it a mature faith? In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing to a group of Christians in the first century who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, and he's encouraging them, and here's what he says, verse 6, in this... 
you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, or since it is necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That word various literally means multicolored trials. And so in all of our lives, we go through trials. Testings, challenges, heartaches, problems, whatever, you know, mine may look like this, yours may look different from mine, but the Bible says all these trials we go through are necessary. It's not accidental or incidental, it's providential. There's a purpose behind these trials. And in verse 7, the Bible gives us the reason for much of what we go through. It says that, or so that, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so God, as He's developing us, the first thing He is developing is our faith. And He's wanting to purify our faith so that fear, doubt, anxiety, nervousness, unbelief, getting mad at God when things happen. He's wanting to work all that out. Very much like a goldsmith would take a piece of gold, put it in the fire. Why would you put it in the fire? Because in the fire, all the impurities, all the dross comes off of that gold. And when he pulls the gold out of the fire, it is purified. It is of much greater value. Now, what the Bible is saying is sometimes in life, God puts us in the fire. He puts us in the furnace. And the first thing we want when we're in the fire is out of the fire. None of us like the fire. And yet God puts us in there sometime or he allows us to be in there sometime. And God says, you know what? I'm going to allow you to go through this because in the end, in the long run, this experience will be good for you. I'm using it to develop your faith. Now think about this. As God develops our faith, you say, well, what's, what's the big deal about our faith? Well, it's huge. As God is developing our faith, in other words, as our faith grows, that means our peace grows. Have you ever noticed that faith and peace are like two parallel railroad tracks? Where I, I've noticed in my own life, if some, and sometimes it happens, there's an area in my life where I don't have peace like I know I should have, and maybe like I've had before, my peace begins to get weak. I can always trace it back and say, wherever my peace is lacking in that area of my life, Faith is lacking. So in other words, if you're a parent here today, you say, you know what? I don't have any peace about my kids. I'm worried about them. If you'll look at it, the reason you don't have peace about your children, maybe they're away from God or involved in bad things right now, it's probably, at least in part, you're not maybe trusting God with your kids. Maybe you're praying about them and all, but maybe you're not fully trusting them because faith and peace always run together. As, as our faith grows, life becomes much more enjoyable. We know that God is in control. We know that God has a plan. We know that, that, that anything He allows into our life is very good. And so we don't worry quite so much about it. Now, go back to the book of Job. I want you to see a, one of the greatest verses in the Bible about Job's faith. It's found in chapter number 13, and it's in verse 15. Let me let you find it. Job chapter 13 and verse number 15. You talk about a man whose faith in God was strong and mature. Job 13, 15, listen to these words. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job was saying, you know what? If God decides to strike me dead, and if he, for example, if God just sends a lightning bolt to strike me dead, 
as that lightning bolt is coming from heaven in my direction, and as that lightning bolt hits me and I fall to the ground, I'm going to be trusting him all the way to the ground. No, what he's saying is, it doesn't even matter what happens, I'm going to trust God. And so we say, hey, you're going through a hard time, God's developing you, he is, and the first thing he's doing is developing your faith. Why? Because he knows as your faith grows, your peace grows, your joy grows, and your enjoyment and your experience in this thing we call life will be greatly enhanced. The greatest thing you can do to enhance your experience in life is not to get a better job making more money. Or not to get a better or bigger house or a better car or or another person. No, the best thing you can do to enhance your experience in life is to grow in your faith so that your peace and joy and all that grows too. So that's the first thing God is doing. He's developing our faith. The second thing that God's doing is He develops us when we think that our best days are behind us and God's finished with us. He's, he's not only developing our faith, but God is He's developing our praise. He's developing our praise. Now, go back in Job chapter 1. I'll show you this. And again, by... I want us to pick up reading in verse 18. By the time we get to that verse, he's lost his oxen. Many of his servants have been killed. His sheep, his camels, more servants have been killed. Pretty well lost all of his property and possessions. But in verse 18, while he was still speaking, that is one of Job's servants came to him to tell him what was happening. Another servant also came and said, now watch this. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they're dead. And I have alone, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now look at Job's response. You talk about a, a truly amazing response. Then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head. This was an Old Testament sign of mourning. And he fell to the ground, now this next part, and worshipped. He worshipped. In verse 21, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And so as soon as he finds out that all ten of his children have just been killed, his first response was to worship God and to say, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I don't know what goes through your mind when you read a passage like that, but to me, I just think, well, this Job is so much farther along than I am, I can't even, I can't even begin to relate how somebody could receive such horrible news, and their initial response is to say, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, I would think going through something like that, God, I pray one day you'll get me to the point where I can say that. But initially, to be honest with you, initially, I don't even think God would expect. I mean, I think God is, 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 was proud of Job and uh, in, in, in all of this. But I don't even think God would expect our initial response that quickly in such a state of shock to be what Job's was. Now, the reason I say that is first of all, the character of God. But second of all, if this was the only verses we had about how Job responded to all these problems in his life, we would just uh, conclude that he was some kind of a, of a superman. 
with, uh, with no feeling and no emotion and just like kind of like a robot, but it wasn't the way at all. Look in chapter 3, and it, we would see this as we go through the whole book of Job. Job had some melting times. I mean, he had some sinking spells, and it doesn't, he doesn't sound exactly quite as strong as he was in chapter 1. For example, in Job chapter 3, look in verse 11. He said, why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? And so on. And he does this throughout the book. He'll say, God, why did you allow this? Or all these things. Or God, I'd rather be dead than alive. And so it is true that his initial reaction was praise and faith in God. And yet Job was human, just like we're human. And he had his moments. He had his sinking spells. So God is developing our faith so that we can enjoy life more. God is developing our praise so that we can be still in our spirit and just praise Him no matter what. But another thing that God is doing, He's developing our character. In other words, God is in the process of making us more like Jesus. Now, turn back to the New Testament, to the book of Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 8. And if you've been in the church a long time and... uh, if you've certainly been a Christian for very long, you're going to know this 28th verse of Romans chapter 8. But I want, for the sake of those here today who may be new to, God, to walking with God or new to the church, I want you to see this verse, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Paul is writing here, this is one of the, I mean, I anchor much of my life to this one verse. Romans 8, 28, Paul said, and we know that all things work Together for what? Say it again. All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. And so we know that verse. Now here's how we, here's how we many times apply that verse. Here's a person, for example, and he's lost his job. And uh, he says, well, Romans 8, 28, I lost my job at Exxon. I'm praying God to get me a job at Shell or somewhere else. That's the good. Well, if you've lost your job at Exxon... God's going to get you another job. I mean, I believe that. He's your father. He's going to provide for you. And knowing the character of God, I would say, I think God's going to eventually get you a better job than you had before. I just think that's how how God works. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, when it says God causes all things to work together for good, that's not the good it's talking about. I think you could pull that out of it, but that's not, strictly speaking, what Paul is talking about. In fact, in verse 29, he explains what the good is. Look at it. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So God has, he knew us before we was born, we were born. He has predestined us. What's he predestined us for? To be conformed to the image of his son. And so the ultimate good that God is working in your life is not trying to move you from Exxon to Shell. The ultimate good that God is working in your life is to conform you and to make you more like Jesus, to the person of Jesus Christ. In your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, in your reactions. God, whatever experience you're going through, you feel like, man, I've been dropped in the fire. What's God doing? He's developing your faith. He's developing your praise. He's developing your character. He's in the process of making you more like Jesus. I, you know, the, the, the thing that God is most concerned about in your life is you. It's not what he's going to do for you. It's not what job he's going to give you. Take me, for example. I'm very easy to illustrate this point as a minister. 
Okay, when I was 18 years old, I surrendered my life to the ministry, to be a preacher. Now, if you would have asked me when I was 18, okay, John, what is God's plan for your, God's ultimate plan for your life? I mean, I don't know how I would have answered that, but let's just play like that I would have said, well, God's called me into the ministry. And so, you know, the main thing with me and God is that God would get me to the right churches where he wants me to preach. And, and it is important. I mean, if you're called to preach, you're supposed to have a place to preach. And I surrendered my life in June of 1988, and I think I preached my first sermon in July of 1988, and by the grace of God, I've always had a place to preach. But God's ultimate plan for me, like in other words, when God looks, when, when before I was ever born, and God knew that I would be born, and God even knew me, God wasn't in heaven saying, okay now, the big thing for John is, I've got to get him to Pasadena, and I've got to get him to Pasadena. And whatever I've got to do, he's got to go to Pasadena. No, my being in Pasadena is part of God's plan for my life. And I thank God all the time. I'd rather be here than anywhere else. But the biggest thing on God's uh, list of priorities for me was not that I be in Pasadena. I mean, whether I was in Atlanta or Dallas or New York or wherever it might be. Now, God does have a will. God does have a plan. God wants us to be where he wants us to be. But the main thing... When God looks at me, I'm not saying it's not a thing, but I'm saying the main thing is not that I be preaching a sermon today in Pasadena. The main thing is that right down in here, I be growing in my faith, in my praise, and that my character would be becoming more and more like Jesus. So I'm not saying whether you work at Exxon or Shell, is, it doesn't matter. It does matter. I'm not saying whether I preach in Pasadena or Dallas doesn't matter. It does matter. I'm just saying compared to God's ultimate plan, which is to make us like Jesus. And see, that's, this is what frustrates us many times. We're going through something in life, and we're like, God, this has happened. Now what are you going to do? And I think what God would say in response to that, I'm going to do something. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to get you a job, or I'm going to take care of this situation. But the main thing I'm wanting to do is, through this experience, make you more like Jesus. Now let's go back to Job chapter 23. One more verse in Job. This is exactly what Job figured out as he was going through. I mean, he lost his health. By now, by the time we get to chapter 23, he's lost his health. People are saying to him, Job, the reason you're having all these problems is because you got sin in your life, which wasn't true. But in Job chapter 23, verse number 10, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Because remember this, Job didn't know why he was having these problems. We read the book of Job, and we find that in the first chapter. Job was having these problems because one day the devil went to God and said, God, the only reason Job is worshiping you is because you've given him all these blessings. And the devil basically said to God, if you'll let me rattle Job's cage a little bit, jerk his chain around a little bit, he won't be so faithful. He's just worshiping you for what he can get out of it. And God basically said, you don't know Job like I know Job. Job's not worshiping me because I've given him 10 kids and all this property and all this money. Job's worshiping me because he loves me. And so God gave the devil permission to rattle Job's cage. He said, you can't kill him, but you can cause him some problems. But Job never knew that. He never knew why all these problems came into his life. And so it wasn't his understanding that helped him. It was his faith. Look in chapter 23, verse 10. 
In the middle of all these things, Job did not know. Look at the thing he did know. He said, but he knows the way that I take. You got to get that in your mind. And when you're going through something that you don't understand, you've got to say, you know what? This doesn't make any sense to me, but God knows the way that I take. God knows what he's doing in my life. And then at the second part of the verse, he says, when he has tested me, Job knew it was a test, I shall come forth as gold. In other words, Job was saying, when this whole experience is over, when, this, when I'm pulled out of the fire and I move on in life, Job's saying, I'm going to be better off than I was before I had this experience. In my faith, in my praise, in my consistency, in, in, in my character, I'm going to be like gold. I'm going to come out more like Jesus. Now, that's what God's wanting to do in your life. And that's why God has allowed you to be going through whatever you might be going through at this time to help you to be more like Jesus. I was reading just yesterday, in fact, uh, I was rereading a story that I was already familiar with about how in about the year 1501, Michelangelo, who is considered, I guess, the greatest painter, the greatest sculptor who ever lived, he painted the ceiling on the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican, if you've been there, and just an incredible talent. But somebody commissioned him and said to him, would you please make a sculpture of King David from the Bible? A, a picture, a statue of David when he was a young man. Michelangelo set about to make, uh, to make this statue of, of King David. And it's interesting, he came across a piece of, of marble that had actually been discarded by two other sculptures who said that's not a good piece of marble. Michelangelo got his hands on that marble and he began chipping away to make that piece of marble into the image of King David. And he just started chipping away. Reportedly, one day, one of his friends came to him and said, man, what in the world are you doing? He said, well, I've been asked to make a statue of King David. And his friend said, a statue out of that piece of marble? He said, yeah. He said, you'll never do it. He said, there's, there's no way you can make a statue. Well, he worked on it. History tells us that for over two years, Michelangelo continued to work on that piece of marble and that sculpture that he was making until finally he made a statue of King David, 17 feet tall. If you've ever been to Florence, Italy, you have probably, if you've been to Florence, undoubtedly, you have, you've been into the museum and you've seen this statue where... Uh, where David's sculpture has been placed. Supposedly, after the thing was all finished, Michelangelo's friend came back to him and said, man, that's amazing how you did that. He said, a couple of years ago when I saw you just... He said, I never thought you'd get anything like what you did. That's unbelievable. He said, how did you get David out of that piece of marble? And Michelangelo, one of the greatest quotes I ever read, said to his friend... David was in there all along. All I had to do was chisel out the excess. Well, God's doing in our lives what Michelangelo was doing with that piece of marble. He is chiseling out the excess. He is in the process in your life and in my life of removing anything and everything that does not fit the life of a child of God. And so God, uh, for example, is identifying sins in our lives, thought processes in our lives, habits, 
sometimes relationships, uh, certainly doubt and unbelief. Maybe there's an attitude of unforgiveness or bitterness or negativity. And God looks down at our lives from heaven and he sees these things and he just begins very gently to chisel those things out, to cut those things out of our lives so that our lives will be filled with faith and with praise and with godly character. And so that's what God's in the process of doing in your life today. And so whatever you might be facing, whatever you might be going through, if you will respond properly, and if you would just say to God, Father, in the midst of this confusing time, in the midst of this turmoil that I'm facing, would you please begin to remove those things from me that don't belong? Replace them, God, with those qualities that you want me to have. Make me the person that you want me to be. If you'll respond like that, you're going to be like Job. The end of your life is going to be better than the beginning, and you're going to come through this difficulty stronger than you were before it all started. I hope the program has been a blessing to you today. Hope you have a great week, and I hope you'll be back with us next time on Peace by Believing.